Good morning. Man, I'm blessed to be here this morning. I, uh, I'll tell you what, that, that worship hour, that 10 to 11, and it gets me every time. I, you know, your pastors here will tell you this, that missionaries, pastors, preachers, like, we have to get fed too, right? And like when you're preaching every Sunday, you have to have a time to get fed. And man, that worship hour gets me every time. I love it. I just, you know, it, it fills me up, and I'm so excited. And, um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, or this morning, and I knew I was coming here, I, I, I came here ready to get fed because I said, man, this is going to be a good day. But uh, I love coming here. I tell you, it's a breath of fresh air. I was telling Pastor Tom this morning when I first got here, it is a breath of fresh air for me to be here. I, when, I, when you do what I do, I, I go to a lot of churches when I'm in the States, and uh, it, it saddens me to say that a large number of those churches are either dead or dying, you know, and, um, and it's just such a breath of fresh air to be here. It's very refreshing, and man, God is, God is here, yeah. amen, yeah. amen. God is in this church, and he's in this room, and uh, it's just so exciting. I love being here, and uh, I know sometimes it seems like I'm just begging to come back because I just love it here, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I, I just, I love it here. That's all I can say. But uh, anyways, thank you for having me this morning. And uh, what I'm going to do, and I came here in June and get, gave kind of a brief update, ministry update. So what I'll do this morning is I have a little bit more time, so I'm going to give kind of a more detailed ministry update, if that's all right. I got some pictures. And so if you were here in June when I was here, the update will sound similar because I've been here uh, in the States, so not much has been happening. But I'm going to go into a little bit more detail, show some pictures, put some faces you know, to the names, and then uh, after that, I'm going to uh, speak a word from, from, from the scripture, uh, if that's all right, uh, have something prepared. So uh, anyways, you know, like I said, I've been here for six months. I was not supposed to, I don't know if I shared this last time I was here in June, but I'm not supposed to be in the States right now. Um, what happened was in April, I got a call saying I had a problem with my taxes, and they said, Uncle Sam needs his money, so you got to get back. They, had, they made me come back to the States uh, to file my taxes in person. So my wife and I were planning to come here at the end of this year anyways and uh, raise support. But then in April, they called me and said, come back, file your taxes in person. I said, okay. So I got here, and I was supposed to stay for three weeks. I was just going to come, see my family, fix my taxes, and go home. On the day I got back, my wife texted me and said, I'm pregnant. Right. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so uh, she had applied for a tourist visa, but uh, to come here, but they won't give visas to pregnant women because they don't, they're afraid they'll come here and either have their baby and not pay their hospital bill or they'll stay here illegally with their baby. So it's, it's next to impossible for her to get a visa because she's not American. And so um, the baby's due in December, and that was the time we needed to come back. So, I, so we prayed about it, we talked about it, and we decided that I would stay here for the summer and get that support raising out of the way so that I could be there for the birth of my baby because uh, I don't want to miss that. And so, uh, you know, God commands us to take care of our family first, amen. And so, uh, so I, I stayed here for the summer, and I'm wrapping up my time. Just bought my plane ticket. I'll be heading back in about three and a half weeks. And so I'm getting excited. My wife's excited uh, to see me. And so, um, anyways, I'll be going back October 24th. And so, anyways, you know, like I said, not a whole lot's been going on over the summer because I haven't been here. Our ministries have been going on, you know, business as usual. Um, they've been doing, you know, we've got a lot of great young people who have kind of taken over 
the, our, my ministries while I've been gone and, and at least uh, kept it going, you know, and so they've still been having their services and their Bible studies and things like that. But, um, you know, we got a lot of stuff, and, and, and over the past year, a lot has, has happened. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the big things is I got married. And so, I <laughs> and so that's my wife. And you can tell that uh, I married up. And so, uh, you know, she's, <laughs> uh, of course, that picture is about 50 pounds ago. But, um <laughs> but that's my wife. Her name's Angela. And so she's uh, Filipino. We met after I moved to the Philippines. And uh, we started dating, and then we got married last August 4th. And like I said, we've got a baby on the way uh, due in sometime November, December. The, ho- the doctor has given us five different due dates. So the hospitals are not great in the Philippines. And so they've given us five due dates, and then they said, uh, it's a girl. Then they said, it's a boy. And then they said, actually, we're not sure. And then they said, maybe one of each. So, so we might have twins, actually, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's exciting, and so uh, that's my wife, and she's been such a blessing uh, to my ministry, and so she's, uh, you know, helped me learn the language much better, and uh, helps me relate a lot better to the locals, and so um, anyways, you know, and I've shared this before, but just a refresher, you know, what we're dealing with in Manila, uh, Manila is a fairly small city, it's the capital city of the Philippines, but um, geographically, it's like the size of Richmond, so bigger than Newcastle, but um, there's two million official people there, if you Google the population, but including, including the, the homeless people and the undocumented people, they say it's more like 13 million. Wow. So, so number one, that's a lot of people in a small city, and also that tells you how many homeless people there are as well. And so um, that's what we're dealing with. 86% Catholic. I've said this before here. They're Catholic because their grandparents are Catholic. And their great-grandparents were Catholic. It's a tradition. Okay? Uh, 9% Muslim. And the Muslim community is actually growing rapidly. They come from Malaysia. And uh, I, I don't know what the attraction is, but young people, they, they love it. And so it's growing. Uh, when I moved there three or four years ago, it was only about 4 or 5%. So, I mean, it's grown a lot, all right? And so that's in Manila. That's actually throughout the whole country. We're seeing that grow rapidly. And uh, a lot of extremists, too. Uh, that We have uh, three big extremist groups in the Philippines. And so over the past six or eight months, we've, we've had two or three church bombings, actually, uh, from the Muslim extremist groups. Uh, a Catholic church and then a Baptist church. And I think there was a third one, another Catholic church. And so none of those were in Manila, but that's what we're dealing with. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, what, what we do, and I've, I've shared this before, we have a lot of different ministries, but our three main ones are we do youth ministry, and then we do in campus ministry, and then we do, um, we do disaster relief and community relief. All right, so our ministry is essentially based around relationships. That's what it is. It's relationships. There's a lot of missionaries in the Philippines. They have a lot of Mormons and a lot of Catholics, and they're used to Americans coming and saying a lot of words and leaving. So we have to kind of take it a step further, and then we come at them with the relationship. So what we do is we start with meeting their felt needs. Okay, so we go into the urban poor, the slum areas, the places that people are poor, they don't have any, they have a lot of earthly needs, and we help them meet their earthly needs. And what we do is we just love on them, you know? We just love on them. Um, I think it's in John. John says, when you love people... 
they're going to see that you're a disciple of Jesus. Amen? So that's what we do, is we just love on people. So we have a couple of communities. Uh, the first thing that we do when we go into a community is we start with feeding programs. And so we go in, we start with the kids, uh, and, you know, as an American, as a foreigner, I have to build trust in these communities. It takes a long time uh, to build these relationships. So we start with the kids, and we'll do feeding programs, and we'll do, you know, we'll give toys away. And then the adults will see that we care about the kids, and we, we really actually care about them. You know, we want to help them, and we want to make that relationship. And so, you know, we've got three communities right now that we do regular feeding programs in. And uh, this is my favorite picture. And uh, what we do is on Saturdays, we go in, and we'll bring, we'll make, you know, for $20, we can feed 100 kids. And we, what we'll do is we'll buy rice and garlic and chicken, and we make a thing called lugao, which is uh, just a rice soup or rice porridge. We'll make a big five-gallon vat of that. Okay, and these kids normally don't get hot meals. So like a bowl of rice porridge <laughs> doesn't sound like much, but it's a big deal. Okay, so I'll get up in the morning and, and we make this big pot of rice porridge and we'll carry it into these communities and the kids just line up, right? And, uh, and so we just hang out with them. You know, we just love on them. And, and the thing about Filipinos is they love foreigners. They love Americans, and so there's already that automatic attraction where they'll, you know, they'll just come to me just because I'm, I'm different, because I look different than them. And so uh, we go into these communities. In this specific community, and uh, I don't think I talked about this last time I was here, but um, this is my big project right now. This is a community called Botokan. So this is actually, um, it was a landfill in Manila. And it's about 10 minutes away from where I live. And uh, it's a landfill, and these illegal squatters, these uh, homeless people started building houses there, okay? And so these are some of the kids that we minister to. And if you see in the houses here, I mean, the houses are just, they're made out of whatever they can get on the side of the road, right? And so the, ha the roofs are maybe just, sometimes it's a tarp as a roof. Sometimes it's a piece of metal held down by a tire. They don't have nails. And so, I mean, this is extreme poverty, right? Like extreme poverty. And, uh, and it's wild. And so uh, this place, actually, the way I got into this community, Bodokan, is um, last October, I had a mission group from Paducah, Kentucky come, and uh, a, a group of Americans, and we were doing feeding programs in different communities. And on a Friday, their last day, we had uh, scheduled to go to this one church or this one area to do a feeding program, and the guy who set it up gave us the wrong date, and we showed up in this place. <laughs> and, uh, or, I mean, not the wrong date, he gave us the wrong address. And we showed up in this place. And I had never been there. I had kind of heard of it. And so we show up, and we had more stuff scheduled later on, so we didn't have time to find the other place we were supposed to be at. So I found the captain. Each neighborhood in the Philippines has local government, so they call it a capitana, which means captain. So I found the captain. I said, hey, you know, we're missionaries. We came to the wrong place, but we have all this hot food. Can we just set up here and do something, you know? And turns out this lady was the first born-again Christian to ever uh, be the captain of that place. And she said, she told me, she said, I, I got elected two months ago to do this. I grew up in this area. She said, I've been praying for missionaries to come here. Wow, <laughs> right? And so I told all my mission group, I said, all right, leave your phones and wallets in the car because this is not a good place, and let's go inside. So we go in, and I just felt God there, right? And so, like, the big thing, and it sounds a little bit uh, trivial, 
in America, but, but this is a big deal. So I go there, and we didn't have styrofoam cups. We had forgot them. And I went up to the, to the they call it a tendahan, which is a, like a little store by the street. And I said, do you guys have styrofoam cups? And they said, yeah, we got 100 of them. And I said, I'm sorry, I left my wallet in the, in the car because I didn't want it to get stolen. And they said, just take them. Now, that sounds like not a big deal. It's like $2 or $3 worth of styrofoam cups. But that is a big deal in the Philippines, right? Like $3 is a big deal to someone who lives here, right? And, and I said, well, I'll pay you back later. They said, don't worry about it. I said, oh, my gosh, this community, like, this was meant to be. You know, like I said, I know it sounds kind of goofy here, but, like, that's a big deal, you know? And I remember the missionaries I was with, I was saying, like, I was so blown away, like, they didn't even make me pay for the styrofoam cups. And they said, okay. And I said, no, 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 it's a big deal. And they said, okay. And so anyways, so we go in, and they just loved on us. I'm telling you, I have never been to a community. You know, usually they're happy to see foreigners and stuff, but they're still a little bit standoffish, and they were not like this. I mean, they immediately loved on us. It seemed like there were no barriers, no language barrier, no culture bar- cultural barrier, and God was just there, and it was awesome. So I told my wife, I said, we got we to gotta start going here regularly. So we started going every Saturday and doing feeding programs. A month later, a friend of mine who's a social worker in the Philippines, she, I was talking about going to this place. She said, there's no way you go there. I said, oh, yeah, we go there every Saturday. And she said, no, there's no way. They don't let outsiders in. And I said, well, I go there every Saturday. And she said that, that she learned from her social work, this community is the top place in, the, in Manila for drugs and prostitution. And that's the place that Jesus calls us to minister to, amen? And she said, they do not let outsiders in, especially not foreigners, because they don't know who you're going to tell what they're doing. And I said, well, I go every Saturday, I'm telling you. She said, I want to go with you. I want to, I want to, and she said, I'm going to see if it's really where you're going. I said, all right. So she came with me, and her mouth just dropped. She said, I can't believe this. You know, we just walk in effortlessly, and they all love on us. She said, I've never seen anything like this in my 10 years in social work. Never seen anything like this. And so, um, you know, that's how we knew God was just in that place with us, right? And so um, the exciting thing is, is actually back in February or March, the captain came to us and said, plant a church. Plant a church in this community. They've, they've never had a church there. They never had missionaries there. Nothing. And a lot of people say there's a lot of missionaries in the Philippines. We don't need more. But there's still communities like this that have never been reached. Like, it's hard to believe that there's whole communities that have never been reached, right? And so this place has never been reached. So she, she said, plant a church. Start a church here. We need a church. And she said, I've got the building. You can use the building. Just start a church. And so let's pray about it. I don't want to rush into it. So my wife and I prayed about it prayed with, you know, talked to some other pastors and seek some advice, and we prayed about it. And then finally we said, all right, let's do it. So uh, in, in March, we started the process of, of starting a church uh, in this place. And so the thing is, is I will never pastor the church. So the idea, and kind of another thing that my, my ministry revolves around is not doing things myself, but teaching and equipping the locals to do it. Someone said very early on in my ministry career, they said, you know, you'll, you can speak the language and you can understand the culture, but you'll never be Filipino. That's true. So we found two young guys who have been called to uh, pastoral ministry, 
in that community. They're from the community. They grew up there. They know the place. And uh, they started Bible school, I think, in July of this year. And uh, they've said, we want to we do it. So we're working with them to start this church. And we're kind of helping them get it going. But, uh, and so this is our first time we've planted a church. I've, I've kind of helped guys do it, but I've never done it myself. So it's, you know, it's a big project, but it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I know, that, I know that God is in this project, you know, which makes it all the more exciting. And, uh, and so that's, that's our big thing. We're asking for a lot of prayer with that because it's, it's a big undertaking, but it's very exciting. And so, you know, pray for those two guys, those two young guys, too, because, you know, one of them said, I never dreamt that there would be a church in this community. And, uh, you know, they pray about it and pray about it, and now God is making that happen. So that's exciting. And uh, like I said, that's our big thing right now. And so this is also the community. This is um, that American group that came, and they gave uh, fidget spinners to the kids. They'd never seen fidget spinners before. And, uh, and you know, the kids just love it. And so that's them. Uh, that's our kind of our main group. We did a Christmas party, and we do VBS there. And uh, then we started doing Bible studies. And so those are the kids as well. Uh, and so the other thing we do is disaster relief. I've talked about that a lot. And so uh, we recently, the big thing that we were raising money for a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, was to buy a drone. And I've talked about that here in this church, that you know what the drone does is, is we can get intel because the media is not the same in the Philippines. You can't, you know, it's hard to get information. So we finally got our drone. And, um, you know, since we got it, the Red Cross, Samaritan's Purse, um, all kinds of different local and, you know, different organizations and even government organizations have been using our, our footage and our pictures. And, uh, and then also what, it, what has happened is we've been able to put these pictures up and people have seen that it's real. Because a lot of times when there's a storm, the government will say there was $7 billion worth of damage so that they can get all this relief money from Australia and from the countries around them. But there wasn't really any damage. And so there's a lot of corruption. So now people see this, this actually really happened. You know, so it's almost like a fact-checking type of deal. And so this was, um, this was a landslide earlier this year. Um, this, you can see there in the middle of the picture, there's a road that went through the side of the mountain, and it just took it out. And so uh, I think 160 people died during that. And so we were actually invited to come do that, and then we were invited to the evacuation center with the families, and we were able to minister to the families, and that was uh, exciting. Then we teamed them up with a local church about five hours away from our place, and so we teamed up with a local church for follow-up. That's another another, um, landslide on another island, and I think that there were maybe 40 or 50 people dead, but 500 houses or so were destroyed. Uh, from there, and we took those pictures with our drone, and um, this is from the Will Graham crusade uh, in March. 30,000 people uh, came during the invitation, and we were able to capture that uh, with that drone, and then uh, the other thing we do is during fires, there's a lot of fires. As you can see here, all the houses are, there's nowhere to go but up, right, and so all the houses are just built all over each other, and uh, especially in these kinds of communities. And in this specific fire, I think there were six or 700 houses had burned down, and someone fell asleep with a cigarette in their mouth. And then all of them burned down. And so, um, you know, what the problem is, is these are already poor people. They don't have money for hotels. All their families stay in one house. So your grandma, your grandpa, your aunts, your uncles, your kids, and, you know, all in one house. So you don't have family to go to their house. You don't have insurance, right? 
So the next day, if you walk through these communities that have burnt down, they're all just sleeping in their ashes because they don't have anywhere to go. And it's devastating. So we help them. We do what we can to help them rebuild their homes. So uh, at this specific fire, we did. Um, we were able to give Benig, which is like a, a yoga mat that you can sleep on. We gave them mats to sleep on. We gave them tarps to put over their houses for some sort of a, um, a roof, you know, so that they didn't. They could at least have something to sleep under. And uh, we gave them nails. I think we bought 500 pounds of nails. And uh, it gave everybody some nails. And uh, you know, a couple people we were able to help buy some lumber for. And so those were some of the families. And then, of course, you know, again, it's about the relationship. So we use that to make that relationship and show them we care about you. Right? And uh, that man on the left here, him and his daughter started coming to our church after, um, you know, we met him through this. And so... You know, that, that's, uh, you know, we're seeing people come to the Lord for, through that. So that's exciting. Um, and then we do youth ministry, uh, and that's kind of our, our, our last thing. We have six churches that my senior pastor has planted in the Philippines, and he's asked me to kind of be the youth pastor over all the churches. And so, again, I am not a youth pastor of the churches. I train young people to lead the youth groups. Okay? And so, um, you know, it's grown. We've, this is our our kind of main group, and so we do normal youth group, Wednesday night, you know, Sunday night uh, youth group, and then we do, you know, youth camp and things like that, and uh, when I started in our main church, our youth group was four, and now we're 30, so, you know, God's been really good, and God, I said this last time I was here in June, God is showing us young people who are excited about God and are being bold, and so, um, you know, we do basketball outreaches. Basketball is a big deal in the Philippines. And then this is the other exciting thing is navigators. And then this is my last thing I'm going to talk about, and then I'm going to preach a word real quick. Um, you know, navigators, if you're familiar with navigators, like CCC. And so uh, college, uh, Campus Crusades for Christ. So the idea is for it to be student-led. So, you know, it's campus ministries that are student-led. And so what we do, or we started a year and a half ago maybe, we started going into the University of the Philippines College campus and started doing these Bible studies on Tuesday nights. And then we trained young people to take over the Bible studies. And this is kind of our uh, main group um, of leaders. And they've actually, now they have the Bible study in that campus. And there's two more college campuses that they've started their own Bible studies in. So we're already seeing it multiply. And the two um, young people in the middle are the ones who are from the cult. There's a cult in the Philippines. It's kind of like Scientology. And so it's a cult, and they own a, a college, and it's called New Era. And so these kids, their families are part of this cult, and they went to this college called New Era. They ca- started coming to our Bible study and got saved, left the cult, and then they got uh, shunned from their families. All right? And so then they said, hey, we want to start a Bible study inside of this cult. And, and they called me after, I think it was maybe in May after I'd already come here, they called me and said, we want to do this. I said, are you sure? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. And I said, you know, it's, it's kind of dangerous. You know, it's like starting a, a Bible study in, in a Scientology church. And they said, it's fine, we want to do it. I said, all right. And so we've been working together on that, and that's cool, because I've always had a heart for these people that are in this cult. And I cannot, as an American go in there, because if something happens, I'll get deported in a second, and so I've been praying that God would give me a way into this place, and he did, through them, 
And so uh, that's exciting. And then that's where we meet. That is our, that is our uh, office slash Bible study room slash living room. And <laughs> so slash kitchen. And so, um, you know, and then I also graduated in April, about a week before I came here, graduated finally, uh, bachelor's in ministry. And so, you know, I've been working pretty hard on that. And so that's exciting. And this, uh, this class was 100% in Filipino. None of it was in English. So it was only by God's grace that I was able to finish that. Um, but I did, and I, and I graduated. So, uh, you know, God's good to me. And so, uh, you know, as you can see, a lot's going on in the Philippines, and God has just been awesome, you know. And, and again, the, the exciting thing is the young people. You know, we're seeing young, bold Christians. And that's what I, I just, I, 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 I'm amazed, you know, at these young people who are coming up and, uh, you know, like the ones who want to start this Bible study and the cult, you know, they don't care. They don't care that it's dangerous. And that's, you know, that refreshes me, right? And uh, that's exciting. So um, what we're going to talk about today is uh, life on mission, okay? And so I'm going to preach out of uh, the Great Commission, and which is kind of a, you know, cliche thing for a missionary to preach on, right? But, um, but I'm going to, you know, normally if I would preach on, on the Great Commission, I would preach about, you know, we're all missionaries, no matter where we are, if we're in Indiana, Newcastle, I'm going to do it a little bit differently today. And uh, as I've, I don't know if I talked about this last time, I've, ta- I've talked a lot to Pastor Tom about, I did a vision trip in Vietnam uh, earlier this year in March. And I kind of started culminating this, this uh, idea, this different sort of idea of the Great Commission. And God just kind of started revealing some cool things to me about the Great Commission and, uh, and so I'm, I want to talk about this, and I've had this sermon or this message in my heart for months, actually since I was in Vietnam, and I haven't gotten a chance to preach it yet, so, uh, so I'm excited for this. But anyway, we're going to talk about um, uh, Great Commission, and I, my goal today is to somehow convey this different idea of the Great Commission and, uh, you know, see if we can, we can, you know, kind of look, start looking at it a little bit differently and so let's read uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all, <coughs> excuse me, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the world. Amen. Now, you know, like I said, this is kind of our, our, our verse you know, when we talk about missionaries and we talk about evangelism and what we do, we say, well, God commanded us in the Great Commission, and he did. But it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than just saying, well, we're all missionaries. You know, it goes deeper than just saying, well, he says to go, you know, teach people. It's, this is a big deal. And, uh, and I want to talk about this. And so, you know, in this, in this uh, passage, we see two things here. We see a command and a promise. Amen. So the command, he says, therefore, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He says the word commanded you. So by the way, he's not saying, hey, if you have time, and if you wouldn't mind, if, would you mind? You know, can you go out and teach some people about me? He's not saying, hey, if it's convenient for you or when you get off work or whatever. He's just, he's saying, I am commanding you. You don't have a choice, right? Now, this isn't like a, your mean boss that says, hey, you have to do this. This is God saying, you're a Christian, and this is what's required out of you. 
Amen? Like he's saying, hey, look, if you're going to take on this responsibility, here's, here's what you got to do. Being a Christian is a responsibility. It's a gift and it's a blessing. Like we don't deserve that. And there are some responsibilities that have been given to us. And one of those is to make more Christians. And myself, I look at this responsibility as the biggest responsibility I could ever be given to make more Christians. Why would God choose me of all people to go make more Christians, right? For this, this crazy job to, to build the kingdom of God. But he does. He commanded every one of us. He said, this is what I'm commanding you. This is your job, right? Absolutely. Now, we know our salvation is a no-strings-attached salvation. We know that when we say that sinner's prayer, we get to go to heaven, amen? amen. We're not saved by works. God doesn't tally up how many people have heard Jesus' name from us and say, well, you know, you're, you didn't quite reach, you know, the, the quota. That's not how that works. But God's saying, look, I've given you this gift. It's no strings attached, and this is what you need to do. Right? He's commanding us. So that's the command. No choice. Period. Make disciples. The promise, and this is the beautiful part. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And like I said, I, I touched a little bit on this topic last time I was here in June. And so I, I'm going deeper into it now, if that's all right. Amen. So, you know, this promise, and, and here's the beautiful thing, is when the Bible was written, God knew. He knew it would not always be easy for us to make disciples and to teach people and to be Christians. It's not easy. Sometimes it is. But not always. And God knew that. And God knew that we are humans and that we would get discouraged, right? And that sometimes we would get upset. And sometimes, you know, we need to be reminded that he is with us. And I believe with all my heart that he, you know, that that part, that promise was very intentional. He said, I'm with you. So don't worry. That's a very intentional promise, right? And so, you know, this isn't just something. This is, you know, this is serious. Because, you know, he cares about us. We're, we're, his, we're his kids, right? And he knows that it's easy to get discouraged. He knows it's easy to give up. And he's saying, don't worry, I'm with you. until the end of the world, amen. So, the Great Commission, how do we do that? Uh, that's the wrong one. Uh, the Great Commission, how do we do that? What does that look like? Of course, it looks like going to the Philippines and going to Japan or going to Thailand or going to Russia. That is the Great Commission. But not just that. It doesn't stop there. The Great Commission is a culture. Amen? And, and what do I mean by that? I'll tell you what. When I was in Vietnam, and God just spoke to me while I was in Vietnam. And uh, when I was in Vietnam, I learned that, uh, you know, it's, it's a communist country, by the way, and so, um, you know, Christianity is legal. It is legal to be a Christian in, in Vietnam. It, however, is not e legal to evangelize or to tell people about God. So you're allowed to say I'm a Christian, but that's it. The only time it's legal to tell someone about God is if they ask about him first. That's a loophole. If they ask you about God, you can tell them all you want. 
So when I'm talking to missionaries in Vietnam and they're telling me this, that the only way that they can, you know, that they have to wait for someone to say, well, what about, you know, what is this? Then, then that's their, you know, they can go off and say whatever they want because they have that, right? I said, well, how on earth do you minister here if you can't talk about God? And the answer is they have to make everything about their life point to God. They have to live in such a way that they are so obviously Christian. They have to be so intentional. Like the song says, every move I make and every breath I take, every move they make has to be intentional so that when people see them, they'll say, what on earth is that all about? They told me, the one missionary said, he said, I, my main goal is to make people curious. Because if, so, if you spark curiosity, they will ask. And I said, man, can you imagine living in America and not being able to tell people about God unless they ask you first? And then I realized that's the Great Commission. That is how we should be living no matter what country we're in. Amen. Amen. And, and by the way, I'm talking, I'm preaching to y'all and I'm preaching to myself. Because it's easy to get comfortable in America. It's easy to get comfortable in the Philippines. They love missionaries in the Philippines. Very religious countries, you can see. 86% Catholic. They love missionaries. It's easy to get comfortable and complacent. Amen? And sometimes it's easy for that switch to go on and off. Amen? Sometimes I'm Christian. Sometimes I'm not so Christian. Imagine if you had to live in a way that everything about you had to point to God. And that was the only way you could tell people about God. Would we live differently? How differently would our, how, how, much, how different would our lives look if that was how, you know, we had to live? And that's the Great Commission. God is saying, go out with all your life. You know, this is the life that he's given us. And, and show people, you know, like I said in John, it says, show people. You know, when, when you love people, they'll see that you're a disciple of God. It's all about how we act and how we look, you know, and, and, uh, and how we behave and how we treat people all the time, not just on Sunday mornings. Imagine if you couldn't have that church out there, or I mean that sign out there, and if you couldn't have the flyers, and if you couldn't post on Facebook, and you couldn't have your website and say, come to church on Sunday. You know, would people, you know, and that's my question, is would, when people see you, would they automatically be curious by the way you're living. I worked at Bob Evans when I was in high school in Richmond. And I remember the, the waitresses hated Sundays. They hated it. That's why. They said, well, it's the busiest day of the week. So that's good. You get more tips. You know, it's busy. The day goes by faster. And they said, yeah, but the problem is all the church crowd come in. And they're rude and they don't tip. That's not the Great Commission. All those Christians that came in and acted that way, they left an impression, but not the kind that made them say, I want to know more about that. Amen? They left the wrong kind of impression. And that is not what God called us to do. God called for everything about our life to point to him so that people always have to say, I want to be part of that. I want a piece of that. Amen? And so I've kind of, you know, I mean, I, I'm having this. When I'm in Vietnam, I'm realizing, like, man, this is it. Like, these Christians, 
this is it. These are, this is awesome. I have to start living that way. And then I kind of said, like, okay, I'm going to go weak. And I'm not going to tell anybody about God. And I'm just going to let people ask me. That was hard. <laughs> it's hard. But that is what we're called to do. Amen? We are called to live it. You know, we, we talk the talk really well. But we don't always walk the walk. Amen? And so, you know, I've said uh, before, I'm even as bold as to say sometimes, honestly, you know, I, uh, I, I, I pray, you know, for uh, persecution in America. You know? Amen? Because, look, his- history has shown us that when countries and churches are being persecuted, Christianity thrives. Why? Because it, because it requires this bold Christianity that we're called to do. We have to be bold. We have to stand up. We have to be serious about this. No more lukewarm. Like, that doesn't work when we're being persecuted. You're in or you're out. Amen? And that's what I saw in Vietnam, and I never witnessed that before. That sort of culture of, you're in or you're out. And I said, I'm in. Right? And I want to bring that to other people. Because I think a lot of people in America don't even understand living in that kind of culture and that surrounding where you're in or you're out. Like, like you don't get to be in the middle. Amen? Like, if you're in, you better be in and you better show it from the way that you act and the way that you walk and the way that you talk. Period. So, that's the command. The promise. I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. I'm going to tell a story and then I'm going to wrap up. All right, and this I love telling this story, and I don't get to tell it often, but this describes this promise very well. When I was in Vietnam, I uh, before I went, I didn't know anybody in Vietnam. God was telling me to go to Vietnam. By the way, he I've had always had a heart for persecuted Christians, communist country. God kept saying go to Vietnam. So in February, I realized my visa was expiring in March. I said I need to go to Vietnam because God's telling me to do it, so I better do it. Amen. And so I went in March. I didn't know anybody there. I knew one guy in Vietnam, that was it. And so I got my visa to go there, and I got my plane ticket, and I started emailing people. And I didn't realize how serious this whole communism persecution thing was at the time in Vietnam, because I wasn't used to living in that. And I didn't realize it, and so I'd get online, and I'd like find some churches there, and I'd email them and say, hey, I'm Alex, I'm a missionary, I'm in the Philippines, I'm, I want to come, and I want to meet you, and I want to see how your ministry is. Well, that's a big no-no. So what happened was I just didn't get any replies because obviously nobody wants to talk to a guy (laughs) that has a big mouth. And so (laughs) I'm not getting any emails back. I mean, I'm emailing some like uh, uh, orphanages, you know, some like different nonprofit organizations because I want to see what humanitarian work looks like there as well. And I'm saying, hey, I'm a missionary. I want to come. They're not emailing me back. They don't want a part of that. Right. So the day before I'm supposed to go to Vietnam, I don't have any meetings. I have a nine-day trip to Vietnam planned, and nothing, like, I'm there, and I'm there, and nothing planned. And I'm, like, telling my wife, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Like, I, I know God told me to go there, but I don't know what I'm going to do once I'm there. And so then that day, the, or the day that I was supposed to leave, I got an email finally from this church that I would emailed. Because churches are technically legal in Vietnam, but it's very, very hard. You have to pay a lot of money, and they tell you what you can and you can't teach. And, uh, you know, they take all your tithing and they take, you know, they, they uh, keep lists of who attends. And so, 
you know, it's hard. So there's a few churches. And so anyway, this one church finally emailed me back. And it was this lady named Martha. And she said, hey, Alex, um, you know, thanks for emailing us, but we're in a weird spot. We don't have a pastor, and we don't really have church service. Um, and we're not really a church, and all this kind of weird stuff. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of seemed weird. She was like, but we have this get-together on Thursday night. You can come and meet us if you want. And I didn't care, like, how weird that sounded because I, I, I got a meeting. So I said, all right, I'll be there. So I get to Vietnam, and then I start making connections. I start meeting people and pastors. And what I, what I wanted to do and what I did was went and visited underground churches. And so uh, as I'm talking to these people the fir- first couple of days I'm there, I'm realizing how serious this, you know, persecution and uh, communism thing is. And, uh, and then someone told me, they said, you know, you have to be really careful because this is how serious it is. The government hires American spies to spy on other foreigners to catch them doing ministry. Like, this sounds like, mo- like stuff that you see in a movie. Right? And I'm like, is this real? And they're like, it's real. And you don't see that online. So they're telling me, like, you've got to be careful. Right? Like, like you need to be careful. And you've put, it, uh, you, you've put it all, you know, online. And you've put it in your email addresses. And uh, we have a problem here. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm not used to this sophisticated uh, technology. I, uh, we don't even have microphones in the Philippines. But um, anyways, so, you know, I, they're telling me, you've got to be careful with this. And, and uh, you know, you have to be careful who you talk to because you've already put in your email. So if the government sees in your email, you know, because they'll spy and this kind of thing. Like, they'll look at your emails and your texts and your phone calls. You've got to be careful. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll be careful. And so then... As I'm thinking about this meeting that I had that Thursday night at this church, I'm like, man, this, this is starting to look more and more shady. And so I start praying about, you know, should I go to this? And I had a friend or a guy that I met there say, like, this seems weird. It's a red flag. And so I started praying about it. Should I go? Should I not go? And I emailed the lady again, and I kind of tried to dig for some more info. And she said, you know, she didn't want to give me info. And it was weird. And she said, just call me Thursday. I'll give you the address of where to go and just show up. And, uh, I mean, it was getting weird. And so I'm praying, should I go, should I not go? And I was, I was kind of conflicted because I'm thinking, like, man, I could get myself in trouble. Like, real trouble. But on the flip side, this is what I came here for. And if this is a real underground church... And, you know, there's a good chance that they're being the secretive because they don't want to get caught, you know, then I'd be missing out on it if I don't show up out of my fear. Amen. So I'm praying about it. God, what do I do? What do I do? Thursday comes along. I'm praying about it all day. Do I go? Do I not go? And I didn't tell my wife about it because I knew she'd probably fly to to Vietnam and and kill me if she knew that I was even considering doing this. But uh, I didn't tell her about it. And so... (laughs) But I'm, you know, praying, I'm talking to some people, and I, I felt like I needed to go. I said, I'm going to go. So I buy, I call an, uh, they call it an Uber bike. So it's a little scooter, like what people drive when they lose their license. They, it, it pulls up, 
and it's like a dollar to go across the city, and this little guy pulls up on this little scooter with their, you know, green uh, Uber or Grab outfit, and he gives me a little helmet to put on top of my head, and um, he's taking me to this place that she told me to go. It was about 30, 45 minute ride, and as I'm on my way, I'm just praying, God, let this be real. Like, let this be what she says it is, you know? And, like, I don't know if I'm being, like, serious enough, but, like, there was a good chance that I was being set up. Like, a very good chance. I'd put it on my email. I'd say, I'm a missionary. I'm doing ministry. I want to see underground churches. And they definitely spy on you. And so there was a good chance that this was a bad situation. And I knew that. But... And I'm, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, let this be real. Let this be who they say they are. And as I'm there, and all of a sudden, I said this last time I was here, remember this? I've heard a lot of pastors and preachers say that church, that God doesn't speak audibly to you. Yeah. You heard people say that? Yeah. It's not true. Because God actually said, this is why you're here. I actually heard him, and I know I'm not crazy. He said, this is why you're here. And then... He recited the Great Commission. He said, I'm with you until the end of the world. And I'll tell you what, that scooter ride to that place felt like I was at the end of the world. But I knew that God was with me. And I knew that even if I go in there and I'm being set up and I get caught and hauled off to this Vietnamese jail, God's not going to hang me up to dry because I did that following God's commandment. I did that You know, I got myself in that situation by doing what God told me to do. And God says, don't worry. You're fine. And it just gave me this peace. I showed up and and it was real. Amen. And it was awesome. And I had a great time. They're a great group of people. And uh, God was good. But the point is just that. That peace that God gave us that. Like, we don't have to worry. Let me tell you something, Christians. I'm almost done, I promise. Let me tell you something. I know. Sometimes it, it, Facebook, Facebook seems like the end of the world sometimes, amen? <laughs> it, I tell you what, it's hard out there sometimes. You know, and like, by the way, there is some level of persecution in the States. It looks different than Vietnam. It looks different than China. But we experience it. Like, don't discredit, our, you know, like, like, don't take that away from us. Like, like Americans do face that. It just looks different. It's not easy to go to school sometimes and say I'm a Christian. It's not easy to go to work sometimes and say I'm a Christian. It's not. And God knew that. And he gives us this promise. That's all we have to think about in our hearts. Is like, if we do this, God's with us. Period. So, that's my challenge for you guys today. Let me leave you with a challenge. That's all right. Could you go a week without telling people about God? And would your life show it enough that they have to ask this? That's the, that's the challenge. Go a week and be so intentional with every move you make that people have to ask, what's that all about? Make it your culture. That's the culture. That, that's, that is what Christ, being a Christian is all about, is showing God through us. That's why as Christians, we're, we're here, by the way. Like, that's why we're on earth, is to show God to other people. That is our purpose. My purpose is, of course, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a friend. I'm a missionary. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. 
I'm a son of God, and I am here to show God to other people. Amen. Amen. That is my number one identity. That is your number one identity, is to show God to other people, not with your mouth. That's easy. It's easy. It's easy to say, oh, Jesus, with your life, with your actions, with the way you make decisions, with the way you behave and work, the way you handle situations. That's my challenge today as we go when we leave today. Go out there this week and be intentional. Make this, 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 uh, this great commission, make it your culture. Amen. Amen. So let's do that. Let's do it. And uh, listen, I thank you so much for having me this morning. And uh, I'll tell you what, I love this church. I went to a church, I preached at a church recently. They didn't even stand up during worship. I felt like I was at a funeral. It was so solemn and depressing. That's not the Great Commission either, by the way. What are we sad about, God? God is coming back. What are we sad about? We're, we got the privilege to tell other people about this great gift that we got. Amen? Let's be happy. Boy, I'd like to think that when a visitor comes in here, they said, man, these people are happy, and I want to be happy too. Amen? Man, and that's what I thought that first time in 2015 or 2016 Brother Coy Hansen invited me out here. Coming from a Southern Baptist church, I'd never seen anything like it when I came in here. Amen? I said, what is this place? But I loved it. And I said, these people are full, filled with the Holy Spirit. These people love Jesus. And these people know what it's all about. Amen? I loved it. I wrote out that visitor, visitor card. Pastor Tom called me the next day. I said, actually, I'm a missionary. Can we talk? I got you with that one. <laughs> it's the oldest trick in the book. But I love this church. You guys know what it's all about. I tell you what, as I leave here today, I just want to encourage you guys here that, like, you guys are doing it right. Amen. And like, I want to say that as an outsider, right? Because I'm not obviously a member of this church. And as someone coming in, as someone coming in from a whole different background, church background, like, this place is awesome. You guys are loving. You guys are godly. Like, the Holy Spirit is just here. And I just love it. I feel, like, I feel the Holy Spirit here right now. Amen. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you guys, like, this is an awesome place to worship. And, and I believe that, that God is here. I believe that God is satisfied with the church here. And you guys are doing a great work. So listen, again, I thank you so much for having me. Uh, real quick, before I leave, um, you know, if I could just ask for prayer, a couple things. Uh, wisdom and direction, pray for us as we go forward with our ministry. God would lead us. We've talked actually about doing a lot more ministry in Vietnam, you know, and possibly moving there at some point in the future. So we have pray for God to show us where we're supposed to be. Amen. And uh, pray for safety, of course. It's always a, you know, uh, we need safety. And uh, pray for a fruitful ministry. Pray that people will keep seeing God through us and keep coming to the Lord. Pray for lives to be changed. And lives are being changed, by the way. Pray for more lives to be changed. And of course, pray for my wife 
Pray for the baby. Uh, you might want to pray that the baby doesn't look like me. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking, but really. Anyways, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Eric, Pastor Tom. It's always a blessing.